This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Saved, and I'm so excited about it. Throughout this series, we're going to be exploring the book of Ephesians together. That's right, verse by verse, one chapter at a time, and looking at what it means to live a saved life, a life that is fully loved, graced, reconciled, unified, made alive, raised up, and seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Additionally, I want to provide us some biblical help and how to respond to what's going on all around us right now. The good news is this, what we're facing is not new. It may feel that way to us, but the church throughout the ages has faced all sorts of peril and persecution and emerged all the better and stronger for it. As a result, I believe that God has already placed within his word, within the scriptures, within the text, answers to the things that we're currently wrestling with and truth about who we really are in him. Truth that we can actually apply and build our lives upon. And so I want to help us to do just that today. If you have your Bibles with you, Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Today I'll be reading from the ESV. We're going to jump right in, beginning with verse 1. And here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin with a few first words and some context that I think will actually help set a tone for how we as the people of God are to hear this letter written to the church. Though there is some debate today over its authorship, the book of Ephesians is widely attributed to the Apostle Paul as a letter written by him to his congregation there in Ephesus. Next to Rome, Ephesus was the most important city Paul visited on his missionary journeys. It was the main city of the Roman province of Asia in what is now modern-day Turkey, It was a populous port city which made it an important epicenter for commerce and religion and politics. It had two great architectural wonders, the Temple of Diana and a 50,000-seat theater. It also had a stadium that often hosted fights between men and wild beasts. It was a pretty wild city. Paul visited Ephesus during his second missionary journey, a visit that was cut short by his haste to return to Jerusalem. He visited again on his third journey and remained there for three years. He later would send Timothy to Ephesus to serve as his representative there. After Paul's death, the apostle John, John the Beloved, would go on to establish his ministry headquarters in Ephesus until his eventual uh, death there as well. And so, What we've come to discover is that Ephesus plays a huge role in the early days and expansion of the church and in much of the writings of the New Testament. So, picking up here in verse 1 with that backdrop in place, Paul establishes his credentials as an apostle of Jesus and begins by saying, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Notice that he doesn't call them out as Ephesians, or Greeks, or Romans, or Gentiles, or Jews. He calls them saints. In other words, he addresses them by their new identity in Christ Jesus as the saints of God. The word saint means here holy one. He's calling them holy ones, meaning set apart and pure. And I want to begin today by saying that to us. That is exactly how God sees you today. If you've placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, you are a saint. You've been given a new identity in him. In fact, 
He no longer calls you a sinner. He no longer calls you by your birth name. He calls you by your heavenly name and identity in him, meaning that you are a saint. You are a holy one. You have been made righteous and pure in his sight because of what Jesus has done for you, because of his broken body and his shed blood upon that cross. Now, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but this is so crucial. So many people today, even Christians, are wrestling with their identities and wrestling with their behaviors because they don't know, first and foremost, who they are in Christ Jesus. Before we go any further, this is the most important part of our foundation in Jesus that I believe needs to be well established. To provide you an illustration here, let's say you and I were to build a house. We would need to begin by pouring a solid concrete or cement foundation. Years ago, when I was about 14 years old or so, I spent my summer days before high school working for a general contractor friend of our family, and he put me to work framing. Now, what I learned about framing is that the frame of the building is absolutely contingent upon the foundation it rests upon, meaning you can build a great building or even frame a great structure, but if the foundation is not secure or level, you're going to have some serious problems down the road. For a few years, our family lived in Texas, and what we came to discover about living there was that a lot of the buildings and houses there suffered from foundation issues. They would crack and sometimes even begin to sink because of the softness of the ground and the clay that they were built upon. And so people would have to hire special contractors to come out and fix all of these foundation issues, which would end up costing a ton of money. So hear me on this. Your spiritual foundation is the most important thing about you because it will determine whether or not you are going to crack and sink or stand strong and firm. And in the days that we're living in right now, our foundations are surely being tested and tried, aren't they? The most important foundation in your life and in my life is our identity in Christ Jesus. And this has to be settled. Before you go on to do anything else, you have to know who you are in Christ. And Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that you are a saint, a holy one. That's who you are now, not just tomorrow, but today. And he says this to those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. The word faithful here is not talking about fidelity or perseverance, but rather believing. He's saying to those of you that believe in Christ Jesus, once again, he's addressing them by their primary identity in Christ as believers. Now, I want to make what might be perceived as a potential controversial statement here. When it comes to the writings of Paul and most of the New Testament authors, the people of God are always identified first as believers, as those who already have put their faith and trust in Jesus. It doesn't say belongers or crowd members or listeners or seekers. It says believers, meaning that in the ongoing debate between whether or not you can belong before you believe, the New Testament scriptures are actually quite clear that your identity in and with Christ it comes from believing first. Now, a couple points I want to make about this and why it matters. There will always be those who exist within a crowd of people who may or may not be following Jesus, who haven't made up their mind yet on what they believe. And they should be absolutely welcomed and loved and accepted and made to feel at home because this is the heartbeat of God for people. At Courageous Church, we make every effort to make this a priority because... People often need to know how much you care before they care how much you know. Can I get an amen? And this includes the manner in which they are provided a safe and a real place to figure out what this Jesus life is all about. 
Jesus himself modeled this in the way that he treated his own followers and those who would have been found in the masses that gathered to hear him teach or perform miracles. Jesus also modeled this in the way that he treated outsiders or those who would have been excluded from temple activities or gatherings or the in crowd. Are you tracking with me? And we see this in the way that he availed himself to prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and Samaritans and Gentiles, people that weren't even in covenant with God. But, and this is a very big but, but Jesus always provoked them to a response, to make a choice about what they were going to believe. He invited them openly to consider what and even how they believed. After all, it was for this reason that he came in the first place. Just listen to what John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 says about this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge it, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I can't help but notice how strongly the word believe is emphasized here in connection with Christ's mission to love and save the world. So can a person hang out with or attend or belong to a church before believing? Well, yes, in the physical or practical sense, of, of course, absolutely, if that's all we're talking about. But can a person be saved, given a new name, identity? become a spiritual member of God's house, called a saint, and made righteous by faith without believing? Well, absolutely not. There's no wiggle room on that. So we need to be careful in our desire to love people that we don't say things that Jesus never said or act in a way that is contrary to Scripture. And I hope that's clear. At some point or another, people need to be presented with the invitation to believe and respond. That's a big reason why we always end our time together with an invitation to believe and follow Jesus. That's how strongly we feel about it. Because it's meaningful and spiritual and holy. And there is no substitute, hear me on this, there's no substitute for believing in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Paul in verse 2 finishes his address with the words grace and peace to you. Before we proceed any further, you need to know that grace and peace is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not something that you and I need to work for or strive to obtain. It's already ours. Paul says, it's a gift from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Once again, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Christ, you have been made the recipient of the greatest gift of all called grace which is the unearned and undeserved favor of God. And, Paul says here, his peace, a peace that the world cannot provide you. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And so, friends, it's not a matter of obtaining it, but rather believing it. The good news is that you already have it, so believe it and walk in it. And we're going to look at how we do that in the verses and chapters ahead. Moving forward, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, 
Paul is starting to break down what our life in Christ really looks like. And in verse 3, he uses the word blessed. Now, I know this word can be abused or misused to represent all sorts of things that we don't see in the scriptures, but the essence of what we see in Christ Jesus and our life in him is a life of blessing. And if we want to know what it means to be blessed, all we need to do is look at Jesus. If we equate blessing to only mean happy or wealthy or pain-free, we're going to miss out on the fullness of what we actually see and discover in Jesus because it's so much more than that. Hear me on this. And the scriptures are so clear here that our life is blessed in Christ, not apart from him. The word blessed here means spoken well of, acted kindly toward, made worthy of commendation or praised. And Paul begins by acknowledging that God is our heavenly father is blessed, and because God is blessed, or blessed, it naturally follows that Christ is blessed, and if we are in Christ, then guess what? We're blessed as well. Come on. And we see this here in verse 3. It's in God's nature and his character to bless those of us who are in Christ and bestow upon us every spiritual blessing, the text says, in the heavenly places. Now, the word heavenly here means things that are pertaining to or related to Heaven, we might even use the word heavenlies. What this tells us about our blessed life in Jesus is that it actually pertains to and is best depicted by what we see in Christ found first and foremost in heaven. Now, because today we're talking about foundations and starting points, it's so important that you hear what I'm going to say next and really listen carefully to it. Your life, as you know it now, is not primarily about what happens to you on this earth. Your identity as it pertains to Jesus and the place that you live from is no longer just about the physical and the temporal and the earthly. It's actually more about the heavenly. And Paul uses this phrase, heavenly places or the heavenlies to call our attention to this new reality. Jesus would actually teach his disciples to pray and think this way. He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is where? In heaven. The focal point, or we could say the place of origin for our life in Christ is not this earth, but rather heaven. And heaven is not just about where you're going to go when you die, although that's true and important. It's actually more about the kind of life that you and I get to live right now. Heaven is about the spiritual and eternal life, which is made available to us now, not just when we die. We see that in almost all of Jesus's teachings. And yet, this is so easy to miss. But it's such a game changer. When you and I realize that our life in Christ doesn't just begin when we die and go to heaven, but that it begins now, we get to participate in that heavenly life the minute we say yes to Jesus. The spiritual and heavenly life that we see in Christ is then given to us now. And that's why Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of God is at hand or among you, within reach. He would even go, even go further than that and say things like, it's within you. Meaning that what we've been blessed with by God is so much bigger than we realize. The things that we tend to worry about, like what we're going to eat or drink or wear, are things that we typically get wrapped up in, right? But Jesus says all of these things the Gentiles worry after. Gentiles meaning those that weren't Jewish and didn't have a covenant relationship with God. And he tells his disciples here, those of you that have a relationship with God, he says, you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be taken care of and, and added unto you. Why does he say that? 
Do you think there's a lack of resources in heaven? Do you think God ever goes, oh shoot, I guess we ran out of grace and spiritual blessings today. Do you think there's any panic or worry there? Do you think Jesus is freaked out about what's going to happen with our 2020 election? Come on, no, certainly not. And if we're living from our true identity in Christ, as people who have a covenant relationship with God, as those who are blessed with him in heavenly places, we don't have to panic. We don't have to worry. Come on, we don't have to freak out either. And if that's the case, we also don't have to allow ourselves to be so divided and pulled into arguments and foolish debates and made frustrated, right? Right? I'll tell you why it's so difficult for us. Because we tend to focus on the earthly and not the heavenly. Paul says in Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You see, heaven, it changes our perspectives. It causes us to look on things above and consider things from God's point of view, where Jesus is ruling and reigning in and above and through all things. Amen? Friends of God, if you believe that to be the case, then it should actually have a strong bearing on what you believe and how you live now. And that is exactly what Paul is inviting us to consider and re reorient our lives around. We have been blessed with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. In other words, our life is secure in him. No matter what happens around us or to us, we are already anchored in eternity with Jesus in heaven, seated confidently there. Isn't that amazing? But how can this be? Well, Paul goes on to provide us the answer in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, as it turns out, God already had a plan before the foundation of the world, before you and I ever existed. God devised a plan to make us holy and blameless before him. And he did it in love. Just let those words sink in for just a moment. He did it in love. Love. And we see this here as we read through the end of verse 4. Because God loved you. He thought of you. And because he loved you and thought of you, he chose you. And because he loved you and thought of you, he chose you before the foundation of the world, before any of it, before creation, before our sin, before our wandering astray, before our wars and strife and hatred for one another. Yes, even before we ever loved him. God so loved the world. In other words, God loved us first. In love, the text says. This is the great mystery of God that has now been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We rejoice over this, and we rejoice in that God, as our loving sovereign and king, had a plan. Now, the word used here for God having a plan is predestined, meaning to decide beforehand. In other words, God decided beforehand, in this case, before the foundation of the world, that he would adopt us to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The word sons in this context would mean both men and women. Uh, we might also use the word here, children. And it speaks of God's desire to have a huge family. Not just a little one, but a big one with a place set at his table with your very name on it. That's good news. Verses 5 and 6 illuminate this a little more for us. 
He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And so we see here that God made a plan, a plan to adopt us to himself, to make us his own kids through Christ Jesus, and according to his good purpose and will, and the praise of his glorious grace, that we might be, and here it is again, blessed, blessed in the beloved. So not only are we saints called holy, set apart, chosen, but we're made to be his sons and his daughters who are blessed to be a part of his great big family. And I want to remind somebody out there today that God not only loves you, but he wants you to know that as his son or daughter, you have access to every blessing that belongs to Christ Jesus. Yes, I said it, every blessing. Well, what blessings are we talking about here, Jason? Glad you asked. Verses 7 through 10 show us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. What blessings are we talking about? How about redemption? How about forgiveness? How about grace? Grace that he lavishes upon us. How about wisdom and insight, just to name a few? Guys, how awesome is our God? Because of Jesus and what he's done for us, you and I have been given the greatest gifts of all, and we don't have to work for them or strive to earn them or keep up our good works to obtain them. They are ours. They belong to every believer who calls upon the name of Jesus forever. Some of you out there have been wrestling to obtain things that are actually already yours. You're trying to convince God to give them to you, and you're praying and you're fasting, and he's already done it. Yes, he has already done it. Your job, the only job that we have is to believe it, to receive it, and to walk in it. Amen? The enemy will come at us to try and convince us to believe the lie that we're not really forgiven. And you'll say things like, did God really say that? Are you sure you're really saved? I mean, look at the mistakes you made yesterday. Look at how you made a mess of things. Or he'll try to convince you that God's grace has limitations. He'll say things like, well, I think this time you've gone too far. And in fact, there's no coming back from this mistake. There's no way there's any more grace for that. But friends, hear me on this. You need to stand firm in this reality. In him we have. Verse 7 is emphatically clear here. In him we have. People of God, you already have it. And nothing can take this redemption or this forgiveness or this grace away from you. Not only that, but in Christ Jesus, the scriptures go on to tell us that he is uniting all things to himself. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is a part of the mystery and the tension of his will that we wrestle with. And Paul here is saying that actually it's been made known to us. Put a little differently, it has always been the plan of God to unite us to himself, to adopt us and bring us into his family, and to unite all things, not just some things, come on, but all things to himself, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, this has always been the heartbeat of God. 
for heaven and earth to come together, for the dwelling place of man to become the dwelling place of God. And we see this first and foremost in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is raised to life and he's given this amazing resurrected body that you can touch and put your fingers into. But it's a body that can also pass between physical walls and ascend into the heavens. In other words, it's a united body. It's of both earth and heaven because Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And we see this in the incarnation. He's heaven come down and wrapped in our humanity. And because he's both human and what Romans 8 calls the firstborn among many, he's also the model or the template for what our unified earthly and heavenly life is supposed to look like when it's fully restored by God. Paul would teach on this actually in an earlier letter to the Corinthians and talking about our own future resurrection when we will be clothed with undying bodies that are incorruptible. Man, it's so amazing to think about. And through this, we see, we get a glimpse of this great unity of things in heaven and things on earth. And I mean, just looking at the end of the story, for example, Revelation chapter 21, we get a glimpse of what this is going to mean for us and all of creation. And it's just absolutely stunning and glorious. So continuing with verses 11 through 14, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In verse 11 here, Paul continues by speaking about this great inheritance that we've obtained. And in verse 14, he speaks of this inheritance still to come. Now, the word for inheritance here in both instances means an appointed lot or portion. And he's speaking of what's been appointed or given to us in Christ Jesus. This would include all the spiritual blessings that we already mentioned, redemption, forgiveness of sins, grace, wisdom, insight. But also, and when you carefully study the Greek here, we discover that in Christ we have become his inheritance. In other words, we are made a people of inheritance who are God's holy heritage. And this recalls the words of Moses that we see uh, given there to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. The scriptures further emphasize this point by telling us, according to Romans 8, 17, that we've been made co-heirs with Christ, meaning everything that belongs to the Son now belongs to us, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified, the text says, right? Which kind of sounds a little harsh, but it's actually incredible news because it means that even your pain and even your suffering serves a great purpose in him, meaning it's not going to be wasted or in vain. Verses 13 and 14 here. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Those of us who hear the word of truth preached, what Paul here calls the gospel or the good news of our salvation, and believe in Jesus, there's that word believe again, are also sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the promise and guarantee of what we now have and of things still to come. 
So, this spiritual inheritance that we receive by believing in Jesus is both now and not yet. Say it with me, now and not yet. Meaning, there are aspects of our inheritance that we get to walk in now. That's awesome. And there are things about it that we have not yet fully acquired that will only come as a result of our time spent together with Jesus in eternity. Now, obviously, we live in an earthly body right now that is prone to decay and death and disease. But inwardly and spiritually speaking, the scriptures tell us that we are being renewed day by day, which I believe allows us to refocus our attention on this abundant life that Jesus talks about so much that he has made available to us now as we await the fullness of our life in him to come. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so how does he make this available to us now? We see the answer right here in verse 13, through the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, it's through the person and the power and the presence of God at work within us. And I could stop right here and talk all day about the Holy Spirit, and we have. If you missed our series, Come Holy Spirit, I'd love to encourage you to go back and check out that podcast. It's amazing what God does in us and through us by way of his Holy Spirit working in and through our life. It's one of our core values as a church, a courageous life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul rightly points out here that the Holy Spirit is the sign or the seal upon our lives that guarantees that what we receive, that guarantees, I should say, that we receive everything that God has for us. So let that be an encouragement to you that no matter what you're facing today, God has still got good things in store for your tomorrow. And for this reason, he continues in verse 15. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Because of your faith and your love, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my prayer life. And then he offers this amazing prayer, a prayer that I actually want to close with today, one that I believe was written for you, and I want you to hear it that way. Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Church, my prayer for you as we continue this journey through the book of Ephesians is that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, more than just facts about God, or information about the church in Ephesus, I pray that God would personally reveal himself to you like never before. That the eyes of your heart would be opened and enlightened. That you would know, the word know here, meaning to become intimate with, what is the hope to which he has called you. Believers, God has called you, first and foremost, to himself. And secondly, to go and to make disciples of all nations and peoples. This calling is not just for the professionals. Come on, it's not just for those who are good at doing evangelism. No, it's for every believer. 
And if your heart has been enlightened, meaning you now see that truth and believe the truth, then I'm here to tell you today that it's time to do something about it. It's time to act. It's time to step out in faith, to get out of the boat, to respond to his voice calling you out onto the waves where it's uncomfortable and risky and even scary. But that you would do so knowing how great and glorious is this amazing inheritance you've received, this adoption, this redemption, this forgiveness of sins, that you may walk in the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward all who believe, which is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and that seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and who has given him a name that is above every name, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Friends, Jesus is that name, and he's inviting you to believe and confess and stand in the reality of what his name represents. And his name represents power. It represents life and healing and forgiveness. It represents a fresh start. It represents courage, and it represents hope. Beloved, that is the invitation to us today, to believe on that name, to receive and walk in every spiritual blessing that is already ours, and to draw our life source from where it rightfully originates, with Christ in heavenly places. Oh man, I'm telling you, we are only scratching the surface of how good this is. And so I'll conclude with verses 22 through 23. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. My final hope and prayer for you today is that you would know and walk in a greater fullness of Christ, the one who fills all in all. So how do we do that? The answer is actually pretty simple. By becoming empty by surrendering and yielding ourselves, our entire vessel to be filled by him. You see, many religions teach on becoming empty to remain empty. Buddhism, for example, teaches on the importance of emptiness, of becoming an empty vessel, non-attached to the things of this world. But it comes up short because we were made to be filled. Only in Christ are we made empty so that we can be filled by him, the one who fills all in all. And it's his fullness that he longs for us as the church, his body, his people to know. Maybe you've been watching today and you don't even know Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to know him and to be filled all in all with his presence and his spirit today. And that starts with you saying yes to Jesus. Yes to love, follow, and serve him all the days of your life. At Courageous Church, that is our mission to equip and empower people to do just that. And so I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And it's simple and it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God. I believe and confess that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again. Jesus, I ask that you would come and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with fullness all the days of my life and make all things new. If you just prayed that, we want to say welcome to the family, welcome to the party, and we'd love, hear me on this, we'd love to know about that decision today. For those of you uh, that just made that decision for the first time, we'd love to help you get connected at Courageous Church or wherever you're watching from. You can go to CourageousChurch.com 
to fill out a digital connect card. And this will help our team know how to best follow up with you and to pray for you in the days ahead. We want to help not just equip, but empower you. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey and taking some next steps. We're all about this phrase, next steps. For those of you that are local, one of the best next steps that you can take is to jump into one of our watch parties. At our website, CourageousChurch.com, we've posted various links to various watch parties that you can be a part of. We also have our next public gathering, Worship in the Park. Come on, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be happening next Sunday, August 16th at 4 p.m. at Flatiron Mesa Park in Sandy. So please join us and bring a friend or two. As always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we'd love to remind you to be a generous and a courageous giver. Come on, your generosity allows us to reach so many people with the hope and the healing and the courage and the life of God. It allows us to advance God's good mission for all the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing with this church to make a difference, you can use one of the links that we've posted right there in the comment section, or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com. We know you'll love that and you can give online. On behalf of my wife, Pastor Candice, and our team, we want you to know that we absolutely love you. We are for you. We are praying for you. You are God's masterpiece. You are his best. So remember, be strong and courageous. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.